turn to Revelation chapter 21, and uh, we are coming to the end of this series on Revelation. And while you're turning there, if you did not get an index card uh, before service, I, I, if you don't mind, just slip your hand up, and uh, I'm going to make sure that you get one of those. Uh, what that is for, I was kind of joking around. Some of y'all asked me if it was a test, and I told you it's going to be a pop test. Uh, but it's not really going to be a test. Uh, about six or seven years ago, uh, on Wednesday night Bible studies, I did a series of Wednesday, for my Wednesday nights, I, I said questions Pentecostals ask. And I uh, kind of took that from one of our old elders, Brother David Gray, years ago, who's long since passed uh, from this life to his reward. He was a great man. I uh, had some opportunity to uh, have him to teach me some at when I was at Texas Bible College and uh, pastored in, in San Diego, California, a very good church. But he wrote <clears throat> three books back in the... Uh, probably the 80s or so, and the title of those books were Questions Pentecostals Ask. And uh, so if you've got a question uh, about some matter, biblical question, uh, doctrinal matter, whatever, uh, you've got that card, and uh, you don't have to sign your name to it. So if you want to have an anonymous uh, question, you're able to do that. And uh, I think I may tackle some of those next Wednesday night. And then Brother Patterson will be teaching in the month of September. And I'll probably pick up with some of those questions uh, in October. And the reason I'm doing that is because I was in a conference back in June. And uh, <clears throat> one of the things that's kind of gotten popular now is they have what they call Q&As. Uh, except for I'm not fast on my feet. And I don't know how some of those some of those people at those Q&As that they just take questions from just just cold and then they have answers for it. I'm, I'm sure we could stumble around for some of them, but uh, it's been a very beneficial deal that people ask questions and uh, you're able to say, okay, here's why we believe this and point to Scripture. And so if you've got something of that nature, that's kind of what I'm kind of put getting at. And uh, I, I think it'll be kind of kind of helpful for us. So let's tie up this lesson here tonight, Revelation 21 and uh, 22. And I'm going to, um, and I forgot, it slipped my mind uh, to send the notes. So I did not send them to you until, I think it was right at, what time was it? Where's Sister Sam at? She stepped out. Um, anyway, she, she kind of gave me a little grief about it. I think I sent it like it. 557 or some such as that. And uh, she asked me how I expected her to have those printed out um, <laughs> in that short of a notice. And so and I understand, but I, it just slipped my mind, and I should have sent them earlier today. But anyways, I um, <clears throat> failed to do that. So let's look at, at Revelation 21-22, and we're just going to kind of take a quick overview of some things here that heaven is about, and uh, again, just to kind of refresh your memory a little bit, uh, there are more than 800 references uh, that John uses, and primarily the bulk of those come from uh, the Old Testament, 
uh, in the book of Revelation. I want you to think about that. 22 chapters, and yet there's right at 800 references that John uses there in the book of Revelation. So whenever people say, well, I don't read the Old Testament, I only read the New Testament, if you, if you miss those things in the Old Testament, then you're, you're kind of you're lacking a little bit because there are things in the Old Testament that helps us to get a clear picture of what's taking place in uh, the New Testament. Now again, seven clear events uh, that you see there in uh, the book of Revelation. Revelation 1 through 3 is the church that is here on the earth and then Revelation 4 and 5 and in Revelation 19 verses 1 through 10, the church in heaven. And then Revelation chapter 6 all the way to 18 encapsulates that period that what we commonly refer to as uh, the tribulation. And then when you get to Revelation 19 verses 11 and through 21, that's what's called the second coming. And keep in mind that there's a difference between the second coming and the rapture. And one of the reasons that there are some people that believe that we're going to go through the tribulation is because they don't make a difference in the in the um, in in to, they don't make a difference between the second coming and the rapture. And so when you do that, then what happens is is that that starts leaning you heavily in toward a post-tribulational view, and you have you believe that well we're just going to go through all. Uh, of this this ordeal that's here, but but just think about this, and this is just one point: that if the church is the bride of Christ, do you really think that the Lord is going to allow His bride to go through the wrath that's going to be poured out on this earth? And that's just one of the parts, and there's like more than thirty uh, that I have in some other notes about a pre-trib rapture. Um, and again, I, and I've got some friends of mine that they get very vocal and very emotional about uh, pre-trib views and so forth. But anyways, uh, we will move beyond that. And then we spent last week on the millennial rule, uh, Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 6. And then the final rebellion and the great white throne, chapter 20, verses 7 uh, through 15, and then you get to the final rest uh, here in Revelation 21 and 22. And so let's talk about heaven. And uh, I remember years ago, it's been eight years ago now, I think, Mr. Patterson passed away. Uh, sort of leading up to that, I had uh, a journal that somebody had bought for me. I don't remember who it was now. I wrote it in the front. Um, so if I was to get it, I would be able to tell you who got it for me. But somebody in the church gave it to me, a very nice journal. And um, when Sister Patterson got sick, started leading up to that, I started taking, I started taking a serious look at heaven and what heaven's going to be and what it's going to be like. And I'm just going to tell you now, it was one of the most enriching and encouraging um, things that I have ever done and um, don't fall into the trap that people want to say that heaven's going to be boring and that we're going to float around on clouds and play harps 
and or that it's going to be one big old church service. Okay, now when I was a kid, I used to believe that. I used to think that heaven is just going to be one big giant church service. Well, heaven is not going to be one big giant church service. And and some people say, thank God for that. And for those that do love church, we would even say, thank God that it's just not going to be one big massive church service all the time. But heaven is a country, it is a city, and so if there are countries, if it's a country, and if it's a city, then you can imagine there are things that are going to be functioning and working in that place, and it is going to be an incredible place uh, for you to be. Now, uh, 1 Corinthians, why don't we turn there since I didn't print the notes out for you. Why don't you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. You've heard this verse before. When I read it uh, to you, you will say, I remember that. But 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and I want you to look with me to verse 9. And uh, we're going to start there. The Bible says there, but as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. And most of the time, people stop with verse 9 and they don't go on to verse 10. But look what verse 10 says. It says, But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Now, do you remember whenever Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus and he gets finished up there in Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, he talks about the spiritual armor. Do you remember how he used and said the word of God? Do you remember what it was? It was the sword of the Spirit. So whenever I read what Paul says, but God hath, re hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, there are certain aspects of heaven that you can get an awareness of because of the sword of the Spirit. So if we look at the word of the Lord, and there are hundreds of references that are in your Bible that deals with, uh, with this matter of heaven. Now, I want you to turn back with me uh, to Revelation 21, and let's take a look at some of the things. Now, again, there, there's no way that in this vision that John saw that he could encapsulate it in 22 chapters. There's just no way. There, there was such the limitations of his mind to be able to describe despite being under what the Bible says, the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. And so he's writing, and here's what he says in verse 20, chapter 21 and verse 1, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Now where in the world did that first earth and that first heaven, where, where did they go to? Well, back up in your Bible to 2 Peter chapter 3 because there's an answer to that question. And so in 2 Peter chapter 3, 
I want you to look in verse 10. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. And here's what he says. He says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. So whenever John comes along and he sees in verse 20, chapter 21 and verse 1, he says, I, I saw a new heaven and a new earth because the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. And then he says, there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he shall dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And then God starts some action. He says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Now a lot of times, the only time people start thinking about heaven is whenever they get sick or they have a family member that gets sick and is facing uh, this matter of death. But most of you, I think, that if you take a vacation Wherever you go, you're going to start digging around and you're going to find out information about that place where you're going. Years ago, in fact, one of my most favorite places in this world, uh, and I hadn't been around a lot, so maybe if I was more well-traveled, maybe this wouldn't be the, one of the favorite places. But it is right now because I haven't traveled a whole lot. Um, but St. Simon's Island over off the coast of Georgia. If you've never been to St. Simons, you need to go at least once and go over there and see the lighthouse. And I remember years ago, one of the physicians that I worked with told, told me and, and, uh, and mentioned to, to Teresa uh, that y'all ought, ought to go to St. Simons. And so leading up to going on that trip, there's a lady, and she's passed away now, her name was Eugenia Price. And Eugenia Price wrote a fictional trilogy about St. Simon's Island, about how the lighthouse got built, how the church got built, and all the story that was surrounding that area, though, over there in St. Simon's. Well, what I did was I read those books and then started digging around. Of course, this is before the Internet was really as, as advanced as what it is now. But I started looking around and finding out details about St. Simon's Island so that whenever I got there that I was able to say, Teresa, we need to take the kids and do this and see this and, and so on and so forth. A lot of you do that whenever you take a vacation. You sit down, you look at maps, you look at places and say, this is where I want to go, this is what I want to do, and this is who I want to meet while I'm there. When you start reading about heaven, I'm going to tell you something. It is absolutely astounding what is going to take place in heaven. Heaven is going to be the earth except for it's going to be infinity. It is going to be the earth on steroids. 
uh, it is going to be the Garden of Eden on steroids. Now, now you think, Hannah, you, this, is, this is for me and you, Hannah, okay? Papa Do's, if you've never had their crawfish etouffee and their dirty rice and those fried crawfish, I'm going to tell you what, that's one of the most incredible meals you've ever had in your life. You sit down and you start eating, you think, oh my goodness, this is just awesome. I'm going to tell you something. We're going to eat in heaven, except for we're not going to get overweight. And you're not going to have to worry about your cholesterol, and you're not going to have to worry about being a pre-diabetic. Okay? I, I mean that. Okay? Some of y'all think that's funny, but I'm, I mean it. In heaven, it's going to be absolutely incredible. Your body will not get tired. Your body will not struggle with diseases. Your body will not deteriorate. And as you age, you start having problems with your health. None of that will be present in heaven. Why? It's because the curse of sin is going to be removed. When you get to heaven, the structures and the construction of that place, 1,500 miles square, now, 1,500 miles from Dothan, Alabama is going to put you all the way on the other side of Texas. It's 700 miles to Houston. It's about 600 miles to the Texas line. When you cross on Interstate 10, they've got a sign up there, and I think they do it to kind of brag a little bit. And what they do is they say El Paso, I think it's like 865 miles. So if you drive all the way across the state of Texas from Dothan, Alabama to the other side of the state of Texas, that's 1,500 miles. And you go 1,500 miles north, which is going to put you near the Canadian border. And then you take the other 15 miles across the top and then come down the 1,500 miles. But then imagine this. It's 1,500 miles high. And you say, why is that important? Because I think now that, that our, our uh, atmosphere, like at six miles, that's when you get out of the, that's when you break out into space. And you think about 1,500 miles straight up, and that's where heaven's going to be. And, and the presence of the God, presence of the Lord is going to be there. there there's going to be no need for light because he supplies the light. It's going to be a place totally absent from any kind of fear and complication of life that you have. Now you think about the things that you like to do. Now here's where one of the parts of the curse was this. You remember is whenever the Lord, in Genesis 3, you remember what the Lord, what God said to, the, to, to Adam, he said, Adam, he said, from here on out, you're going to work by the sweat of your brow. Work is going to be a task. It's going to be a challenge. It's going to tax you. I believe that prior to that point that Adam's work was fulfilling. His work was a joy for him to be involved in. And I believe that whenever we get to heaven, that whatever it is that you're inclined toward, that if there is a city and there is a country, that we're going to have jobs 
that we're going to be able to work at. And there's going to be the pleasure of God for us to be able to work and construct those things and it's going to be uniquely for what? For the glory of God. Now here's what the devil tries to do. The devil tries to get you so in love with down here and he tries to make you think about down here and what does he do? He uses all kinds of snares. He, he, he uses all sorts of distractions. He uses alcohol. He, he uses greed and gets people pursuing trying to get rich. He, he, he causes people to get involved in immoral things. Why is he doing that? He's trying to get people in a trap to cause them to think, I don't want to go to heaven because all that I know is down here. And yet because we have the fallen, we have a fallen nature in us that the Lord's job is to redeem us and to save us. Why? It's for a higher purpose. It's a high, absolutely higher purpose and so that whenever a child of God is transfigured and it is transformed in heaven, then there are things that we know that is going to take place. I want you to turn back in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 17. And again, this is a very prominent uh, thing that took place in the life of the Lord. And uh, you've, you've read this. But Matthew chapter 17, look in verse 1. The Bible says there, And after six days Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John his brother, and bringeth them up into an high mountain apart, and he was transfigured before them. Now look what took place at that transfiguration. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. Now, he, he, his face literally began to glow with an absolute brightness and brilliant life. Even his clothes radiated that light there. Now, I believe some of that was the holiness of God. And when you look at the attributes of God, you realize that the holiness of God is, is his greatest attribute. Because the angels are not saying love, love, love. They're not saying mercy, mercy, mercy. They're not saying grace, grace, grace. Those angels, when they're in the presence of the Lord, they're talking about holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And so when we realize that his highest attribute is holiness, then the significance of this event that when the Lord was transfigured, that there's coming a day, and I think we miss this blessing sometimes, that whenever you get to heaven, that the, 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 the trappings of your flesh, that they no longer will be with you in your life. You think about this week, what you have worried about, think about what you have fretted over, Think about the pressures that you've let track through your mind. Think about the guilt that's been there. Think about the battle with doubt. 
Think about sometimes envy and jealousy and covetousness gets a hold of us when we get to heaven because this fallen man has been changed. We're free of that. That's going to be one of the greatest blessings that you have in your life. If, you, if you're challenged sometimes with depression, if you ever feel that, that anger sometimes, righteous anger can get a hold of us sometimes. When you get to heaven, all of that falls away. Why is that? Is because the holiness and righteousness of God is going to envelop us as we gain entrance in heaven. Now, what does that look like? We'll turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In fact, that entire chapter basically sums up what the gospel looks like. If you look at what Paul writes, look in, in 1 Corinthians, it starts in 15, uh, cha 15 chapter, 1 Corinthians 15 and chapter, ver chapter 15, verse 1. Here's what, here's what the gospel looks like. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein ye stand. By which also ye are saved, if you keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ, here's where the gospel starts, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And then Paul starts talking about that there were some people that physically seen the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are some people that say, well, your Bible is the only thing that talks about the resurrection of the Lord. But do you realize that there are ancient, what we call extra-biblical historical sources that they also say, hey, we saw him. We saw him after he was crucified. Now, some of the liberal theologians want to fall into this idea. Well, they, they think it was the, the swoon theory. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. But they say, well, he swooned. What does that mean? He passed out. And they put him in that grave, and he really was not dead. He had only passed out. That's not true. You think about this. Can you have 175 pounds of spices that's wrapped around? You're wrapped up like a mummy, and you got 175 pounds of of. You say, where'd you get 175 pounds at? Because when you read in John, and the description is of all the way that they buried the Lord and put that, I mean, most of us, we get some weight on our chest while we're trying to sleep. We're like, we, we get claustrophobic. We're coming up. You can't put 175 pounds on somebody and expect them to, to be able to go through that. Now, what's that like? That's two bundles of shingles. Colin, I got some advice for you. You 14 yet? When I was 14 years old. I was working out there at the little farmer's market, and uh, it was at the crossroads right there, Fortner Street and Brandon Stand. There was a grocery store over there, and it was called Little Farmer's Market, and Alonzo Jones owned it, and he was paying me $15 a day. My mother dropped me off at 6.30 in the morning, come back and get me at 6 o'clock at night,
and I shelled peas, pumped gas, and was just a general flunky. Well, one day, William Sherlin and, uh, my goodness, I forgot his name. His last name was Bond. And uh, William Sherlin and one of those Bond boys attached into Pat Bond, W.G. Bond, all that bunch. They dropped in there. Well, they were roofers. And uh, so they told Mr. Jones, they said, Mr. Jones said, we need somebody to, they called it toting shingles. Colin, don't ever let anybody talk you into toting shingles, okay? <laughs> don't ever do it. And so uh, I don't know where we went, but we went to some humongous house out in the middle of nowhere around Hartford. And uh, it had 34 squares of shingles. Now, 34 squares, there's three bundles of shingles per square. And they had those things out there on, a, on some, some pallets. And, uh, and so they told me, they said, now we're going to put the ladder up and your job is to carry those shingles up that ladder and get them up that ladder and put them on the roof and then we're going to nail them down. I was like, all right, I, I, I can do that. And so I started up that ladder. I'm telling you, it's the worst job you ever had in your life. So I asked, I was like, how, how, much, is it, how much does each bundle of shingles weigh? They said, oh, they, they don't weigh but about 40 or 50 pounds. And uh, so anyway, so I carried, they may have carried, they might have carried four squares up there, and I carried the other 30. I, I would get home at night and be so cramped up, and my Dad, my mother was giving me salt, salt tablets. You, I, I, they dropped me off about six o'clock, and within thirty minutes, I was in the bed, and and then you sleep all night long for twelve hours, and then they get you up the next morning. They say, "Hey, it was time to go at it again." We did that for four days. Well, they took me to Ray's Restaurant. Y'all know where Ray's is at over on uh, South Oak Street. Is that Oak Street? Um. So anyway, so we got in there, and old Ray, uh, was he's a talker. And so they set me down at that table there, and, um, and uh, they said, now, what, what do you want to eat? Well, I was, you know, I was embarrassed, I was going to say embarrassed, but I, my mother and daddy put some manners in me, and I didn't just want to just go hog wild with that menu. I was thinking about I didn't know it at the time, but there's a, there's a proverb that says that when you're eating in the company of kings, if you got an appetite, it says put put a knife to your throat. Okay, so if if you if somebody's buying your meal for you, and they say we're gonna take you to Longhorn or Texas Roadhouse or whatever, don't don't pick out the most expensive thing you can find on that menu. You know, put, if you're eating in the presence of kings, put put a knife up there if your man giving the appetite. That's what the proverb says. So. But I didn't know that at the time when I was 14. And so anyway, so I sat down there, and, uh, and so they got me a hamburger and some fries. And, and so Ray come around and said, said, that was Danny Bond, Danny Bond and William Sherlin. He said, Danny, who's this guy you got here with you? And said, oh, this is, this is Philip Harrells, and he works out there at the little farmer's market. And said, Alonzo, which they was related to him, he is a retired deputy. He said, Alonzo, he is... Uh, Glad my wife ain't in here. She she get on me for telling stories. She thinks it needs to be all Bible, and my kids are starting to think it needs to be all Bible too, and no stories. But anyway, uh, 
said, we borrowed him from Alonzo Jones. And, and so what, what's he doing? They said, well, he's carrying shingles. I, he said, well, son, he said, and I was, I was not heavy at the time. I was, I was thin, and, and I wish I was still thin. But anyway, uh, he said, son, he said, you know how much that bundle of shingles are? I said, yes, sir. I said, they, they weigh about 40 to 50 pounds. He said, who told you that? I said, Mr. Bond and, and Mr. Sherlin. He said, son, he said, you bought a wooden nickel. He said, you know what a wooden nickel is? I said, no, sir. He said, I'm just going to tell you now. He looked at Danny Bond and William Sherlin. He said, I don't know what y'all are going to pay this guy, but you need to double it. He said, son, he said, those shingles weigh 80 pounds a bundle. I'm like, oh, my goodness. I was dragging 80 pounds of shingles up, and by the time you, they had about a five-gallon about a five-gallon, you know, jug of of water out there, and, and uh, they kept telling me, you, Philip, you need to stay away from that water jug over there. But I'm telling you, I was so dehydrated from carrying that. But you think about that, okay? And they say, oh, the Lord was, he just swooned. Well, if you take two bundles of shingles and lay them on top of you, you can't breathe. So if you did happen to swoon and they put all that weight on you, it's going to suffocate you. And so Paul comes along and says, look here, the Lord came out of that grave and he was resurrected and all these people seen him. And so Paul goes on to elaborate and he, he tells us, and look there in verse 51, he says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. And here's where you pair up Matthew 17 with, with verse 53. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Sister Sully, your mother, about three days before she passed away, I leaned over that bed there, Flowers Hospital, third floor, and she looked up at me and she said, Philip, don't you ever go back on the apostolic doctrine. Don't you ever back off of it. And then she quoted, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. And I never have forgot that. Now, what, what, what do we do with this matter of death? What, what, what do we do? Well, there's only two buses out of this earth. It's either the rapture, or it's death. And so what do we do with that? Turn back to Isaiah chapter 43. 
and I want you, I'm going to, if you don't have these underlined in your Bibles, then I just encourage you to underline them. They're underlined in green. I don't know when I underlined them, but it's been a long time ago. Under, I underlined them in green, and then I wrote at the end of verse 2 a promise. What's the promise? Here, here's what it says. But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by name, thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. And so I'm just going to tell you here tonight that there is a matter that Isaiah comes along now. Here's the part. He's talking to Judah and he's talking to Israel. But here's the part. Is that there's some promises. He was telling them, he was saying, you're, you're in for some troubling days. You're, you're in for a 70-year window of captivity in, in Babylon. But know this. The first promise is this, is that you've been united with the Lord in an unbreakable relationship. That's what we find in verse 1. And the second promise, he comes along and, and the Lord says, I'm going to be with you whenever you face the trials and the hardships that are in the future. And that's what we have to realize here tonight. That there's coming a day that if we are not raptured out of here, Isaiah, and there's other scriptures as well. In fact, if you want to write these down, Jonah chapter 2 and verse 3 and Jonah chapter 2 and verse 5 where it talks about that death is like a swelling tide. But, but here's what the promise is. You see there in verse 2, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you through the river and they're not going to overflow you, and when you go through the fire, you're not going to be burned. What's the biggest enemy that man faces? Okay, I can say this now, okay, but everybody's all cranked up two years ago or two a year and a half ago. Everybody's all fired up about the mask. Everybody's all in uproar about the vaccines. What, what was motivating that? was a fear of death. A child of God should not fear death. Okay? You, you should not fear death. Now, here's where that we have to look, okay? You remember the psalmist, David, Psalm 23 and 4, they, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, what do they do? They comfort me. So there will be some shadows of death. And when you get in the valley of the shadow, here's what takes place. All of a sudden, the enemy brings up overwhelming doubt and he will bring up overwhelming guilt. And he will try to throw that in your direction. 
And he'll start getting you to rehearse in your mind. Oh, man, I wish I'd have taken advantage of this opportunity. I wish I would have done that. I, I, the Lord is, is not going to be pleased with me at that moment. I'm just telling you now, if you're at a place that, that you're battling with that right now, then let the Spirit of God cause you to make some adjustments in your life so that when you walk out those doors tonight that you make some adjustments and you say, I, I've got to get my priorities straight. Now, I think probably for most of us, and if you're in your 50s and beyond, you're feeling the pressure. I'm feeling it, the pressure of time. I start looking at the Bible. There are multiple chapters in the Bible that I've hardly even scratched as far as preaching and teaching. I want my prayer life to be vibrant. I want to walk with wisdom and integrity and honesty of life. And you know what? Nobody else can do that for me. Brother Abersol can't do that for me. Brother Sanford can't do that for me. If, if I'm going to walk in honesty and integrity and wisdom, I'm the one that's got to do that. And yet the Bible indicates to us that whenever we get on our deathbed, that the enemies of doubt and guilt can get a grip on our soul and our spirit. And David urges us. He said, I'm going to tell you something. When you get in the valley of the shadow, he said, start looking for the Lord. Because yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because the shepherd is with me. He, he, he's there. He's helping me to walk through that challenge of life. Oh, I love the Lord. I thank the Lord for the promises that he's got in his word. And you, you, you see people sometimes say, oh, the Bible's so boring. I don't understand the Bible. Have any of you understood what I've talked to you about just for the last 10 minutes? Have you understood that? I think most of you probably have. What kind of encouragement have you gotten from that? And that's from just walking through some of the simplicity of the scriptures. And yet the enemy wants to say, you, you can't understand the Bible. You can't figure out the Bible. I promise you, if you sit down and take a disciplined approach and read the Bible, there, there are things that can take place and can explode in your soul and in your spirit, and it can be such an encouragement. Now, if you wonder sometimes how come I have such a trouble trying to preach in an, in an hour or 50-minute time frame, that's why. It's because like every time I get up to preach, it's like, dear God, there's so much here. There's no way to get it said in 30 minutes. There's no way to get it said in an hour. And people are like, I tell you, man, I tell you what. It's like, oh, boy, man, hurry. And it's like I want to just say, come on, y'all. Would you step up a little bit? And if you could see what I'm seeing, you'd say, man, I wish you'd preach for two hours. I wish when we come to church that, that, that we would have more time with it. Why? It's because the enemy has so jaded our minds and has caused us to think that the scriptures are not important. But what does, the, what does Psalm 119 say? It says these words are life. Psalm 19 tells us that they're to be more desired than fine gold. Because when you read the scriptures, these things take place. Now, we get lost sometimes in the details of, of heaven 
such as the gates and the streets and so forth. But listen to me, we got a righteous king that's waiting on our arrival. Our creator. Guys, y'all help me up there. I'm going to read this off the screen because I, I can't turn and I don't have these verse references. Clay put up Isaiah 46, 3 and 4. Okay, Our creator has carried us from our birth. Look at what it says. Hearken unto me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel which are born by me from the belly which are carried from the womb. And even to your old age, I am he, and even to the whore hairs or white hairs will I carry you. I made and I will bear, even I will carry and will deliver you. When you get to heaven, your creator's there. Look at Romans 8, 28. This speaks about our guardian. You know Romans 8, 28. The Bible says, and, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. That means that the guardian never sleeps. Everything that we have faced in our lives that happens to us is the working for our own good. You, you say, how in the world? How in the world can this calamity have worked to my advantage? How in the world can this loss have worked to my advantage? When you get to heaven, your, your guardian is going to say, Hey, let, let me show you the other side of the picture and I'll show you what I was doing in your life at that moment. Here's something else. Psalm 139 verse 13 He's our designer. He determined our DNA. He designed my identity, your identity. He picked our families. He designed us from an eternal purpose because here's what Psalmist says, Psalm 139 and verse 13. The Bible says, For thou hast possessed my reins or my kidneys. And when he says, when you see that word reins, what that means is the deepest things inside of you. He says, You have possessed my reins, you have covered me in my mother's womb. And so because of that, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works that my soul knoweth right well. Think about this right now. None of you in this room have had to think about breathing for the last hour and 23 minutes. Your autonomic nervous system has said breathe, breathe. And so you're sitting here in this room, you most likely have been breathing anywhere from 12 to 24 times a minute. Your O2 saturation has probably been 92 to 100%. Your heartbeat right now is somewhere between 60 and 100 beats a minute. Your heart is pumping out anywhere from 4 to 8 liters of blood a minute. Your kidneys are cycling through to clear out the, the, the refuse and the bad part. Your liver has been constantly cycling and dropping out bile into, into, into various places, and it's been working. And none of you have had to think, breathe, heartbeat. You had not had to think about any of that. Why is that? It's because David says, I'm going to praise you because I'm fearfully and I'm wonderfully made and your designer, when you get to heaven, you're going to see him. But there's even more. Psalm 16 and 11, 
talks about our friend. And so because he's our friend, Psalm 16 and 11, thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy, and at thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Now does that seem a little odd? He provides fullness of joy the closer we get to him, and I know people that they don't want to get closer to the Lord. They're looking for pleasures out here in the street. They're looking for pleasures here. If I can just meet this person, if I can just make this amount of money, if I can just drive this kind of car or live at this address or be involved in that particular place, and the Lord say, no, no, no. If you just get in my presence, there's fullness of joy. There's pleasures forevermore. When you get to heaven, you're, you're going to see your friend and there's others, our completer, our changeless one, our almighty God. And one of the lies that the devil uses is to try to get sinners to hunger for material things down here. He, seen, he deceives them into thinking that down here is life. And I was talking to Brother Robert before church here tonight. Did y'all know that we got two lights up here, these two? We got one here one here we'd already replaced one of them was it one of them yeah we'd already replaced one of them and I told him tonight I said you know what I wanted I wanted to put these lights in y'all don't look at the cobwebs up there uh, cause that y'all drum up another job for me and say I need to get up here and wipe them down but anyway uh, I should have said that uh, but anyway uh, I, I told I told I was talking to Brother Robert. I said, I said, you know what I want to do? I wanted to get this building built and, and us not have to fool with these lights for 40 years. Okay? But they're material. And when they get hot, you, you got to fix them. You got to work on them. And that vehicle that you thought was just the hottest thing in the world when you drove it off of the parking lot, ever how long ago it was, a year ago, two years ago, whatever, now you walk out, this is a, this a rust bucket, this piece of junk. I'll tell you what, you know what the problem is? It's material. And yet, here's what the devil does. Oh, man, if you could just get that F-250 King Cab. Y'all know how much them things are? $90,000. $90,000. Folks driving around, $90,000. I just like to have a 90, well, used to want a $90,000 home. Now you don't get much for $90,000. But, but just think about that. You guys driving around these king cabs, ninety dollars to $95,000. I was coming back a couple of Saturdays ago from seeing Brother, uh, seeing Brother Lucas up in, at the nursing home up in Ozark, and I cut through the road. Uh, down there, Midland City, go zooming by, and I see this Harley sitting out there for sale. And since my wife wasn't with me, I, I'm getting old. I'm getting, think I need me a motorcycle. We're in midlife crisis. Next thing y'all gonna see me coming here in a red shirt and big old gold chain around my neck. If I, if I do that, some of y'all, some somebody just hit me and send me on, okay? But, but I turned around. I thought, man, I, I'd, I'd like to have a motorcycle. I turned around and drove back, looked at that thing, and it was like 10 years old, and it was like 12, 
$1,500. I got back in my car and I thought, I don't need a motorcycle. <laughs> but, but you, see, you, you see how the, the devil will fish at you? What did Paul say? Paul said that God didn't hear what y'all saying over there. But anyway, let's stand. That was the devil. That's what my wife says too. I can't have a motorcycle. But, but you, see, you see what I'm getting at? And here's what Paul said. He said godliness with contentment is great gain. And uh, let's stand. I've had a good time tonight. Forgive me for saying that to y'all, but I, I love doing what I do right here. Just telling y'all what's in the Bible. Oh, please hear me tonight. Please, please, please build your life on the Word of God. That, that's, that's, where, that's where the greatest hope that we have, that's where it's coming from. And I'm going to a city where there'll be no more night. I'm going to a city where Jesus is the light. A trumpet's gonna sound and I'll be called away. I'm going to a city someday. Let's thank the Lord for that promise of that city. Lord, I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful, Lord, for the promises and for, Lord, what you have provided for us. Oh, I pray, Lord, tonight, don't let us get distracted. Oh, please, Lord, don't let us get distracted, Lord, by the, the insignificant things of this world. Help us, Lord, to serve you with faithfulness. Help us, Lord, to serve you with loyalty and with strength. Oh, I pray, Lord, that tonight on this church. Help us, God, to give ourselves completely, Lord, to doing your will. Oh, there's a reward waiting, Lord, and help us, God, to be faithful servants of the Lord so that we hear your words. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Amen. 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 Lord bless you. And uh, thank you for coming to church tonight.